podcasts have a problem. Think about it. How many podcasts did you start and abandon before you found this one? Every article that promises podcasting's greatest hits features the same 10 shows everyone's already heard of. And the podcast app that you're playing this on, they're recommending the same podcast to you that they are to your high school gym teacher. Heard FM, a personalized podcast app, believes you deserve a unique podcast experience with recommendations tailored to your interests. Because when you recommend the same thing to everyone, you're not giving anyone the attention they deserve. When you download the app, you'll set up your interest profile. And every Monday, you'll receive a new batch of podcasts that are made just for you. So stop looking for podcasts. Herd FM already found them for you. Download Herd FM on iOS and Android now. Hey everyone, I'm Marissa Tandon, creator and showrunner of That Vampire Show. You might recognize my voice from the titles and credits of the episodes you've been listening to the past few months. I wanted to give you an update on the show, where it stands, and what comes next for us. First and foremost, we are making a season two. We couldn't leave Kat and Warren at that precarious point from the end of the season, and we have so much story left to tell between the two of them. We started the writer's room for season two back in October and are very excited about a new addition to the room. Berkeley Novak Stoles, who you might know by her handle, Icarus Pendragon, is joining us as a writer this season. Berkeley makes a lot of content on TikTok and other platforms talking about fandom and educating the masses on fan fiction. We've really enjoyed having her perspective as a creator in the room as we shape the future of Kat's story. We're almost through our first round of drafts for the season, and we're making some big leaps in Kat and Warren's lives. While I don't want to spoil anything for you, I do want to tell you that Kat and Warren aren't finished with each other yet, and Bloodlines will never be finished with either of them. We're excited to bring back some of your favorite characters from Season 1 and introduce you to a few new ones, too. If you followed the online bonus content during Season 1, you might want to keep your eyes on Kat's profiles. While we're on hiatus, we're planning to bring you some new content from Kat herself. You can find her everywhere, including Twitter, Tumblr, and Archive of Our Own under the screen name 9Lives6FeetUnder. We'll also put some links in the episode description for you here. If you're already through Season 1, including the bonus episodes, and need something to hold you over while we work through production on Season 2, I wanted to tell you about my nonfiction podcast, You Are What You Love. Every week, I'm joined by a new guest and ask them to answer one core question— what piece of media changed who you are as a person? Obviously, if this show appeals to you, I think you are what you love will as well. But over the stretch of the show so far, I've also had a number of members of the That Vampire Show creative team on to talk about the thing that makes them tick. One of our writers, Gabrielle Urbina, joined me for a nuanced discussion on the relationship between fan and creator while we talked about one of the influences for this show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Our newest writer, Berkeley, joined me to talk about how fandom saved her life more than once and the beauty of television staying the same while you push forward into the more complicated parts of life, including navigating grief. We talk talked about Supernatural and how the show has been there for her. Most recently, Torian Brackett, who voices Freddie Graves and Callum Rainier on this show, joined me to talk about how Dungeons & Dragons helped him navigate through quarantine and a major life change, and how the game has not only given him a sense of community, but has helped him in his process as a voice actor. The very first episode I recorded was with Lauren Grace Thompson, who voices Kat on this show. Conversations with her while we recorded that vampire show were one of the major things that made me want to do You Are What You Love. During recording sessions, we often found ourselves talking through Kat's character and the inspiration behind her and realizing how much of our own teenage past connected with Kat's character. And through that, we started to discuss our own fandom days and living through one of the biggest genre shows on TV, the hit CW show Supernatural. When I decided to do You Are What You Love, I knew I had to have Lauren on so that we could commit some of our conversations about the Winchester Brothers to tape, so to speak. 
And we did exactly that. We talked through what Supernatural meant to both of us growing up, the dangers of living through the Super Gulag generation, and how much fandom has changed for the good and for the bad as media has changed. I'm going to play the full episode for you now, that conversation between me and Lauren. After that, you can catch the rest of the first season of the show. I've released 20 episodes, and in addition to the guests from That Vampire Show, they also feature other podcast creators like Mike Schubert, Sequoia Simone, David K. Barnes, Ella Watts, and more, as well as writers from Marvel and Riverdale. To find the rest of the episodes, search You Are What You Love in whatever podcast app you're listening on now, or visit our website at tandemproductions.com. I hope you enjoy You Are What You Love, and we'll be back sooner than you know it with season two of That Vampire Show. Hey everyone, I'm Marissa Tandon, and I am so excited to welcome you to the very first episode of You Are What You Love. Um, Recently, I have been working on a project called That Vampire Show, which centers on this idea of fandom and centers on a teenage character who is very much open with what she loves. And I realized that it's been a while since I've felt comfortable talking about the media that I loved and the media that shaped me in such a way without feeling embarrassed and I have been trying to find a way to start having those conversations again and I realized I could do that with this show. So each episode will have a new guest and we are going to dive into one question. What is the piece of media that changed who you are as a person? And the guest that I have today is a really special one. She's a pal of mine. She is a writer. She's a voice actor. She's a producer. And she's also the voice of Cat Wright on that vampire show. So it felt really fitting to have her on for our first episode. So Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Um, it's nice to see you again. It's been a while. Yes. Um, uh, so what are we what are we talking about today? What is the piece of media that changed who you are as a person? We are talking about the CW show Supernatural. Whew. An all time. I feel, I feel like a breeze just went through the room. You felt a shiver. <laughs> I felt a, I felt something go up my spine. <laughs> you felt don't don't fear the reaper start playing in the distance. <laughs> some, Maybe a minor AC key version of Carrie on the Wayward Son. <laughs> A song that has thus been, you know, changed for the Netflix version to another song. Oh, has it really? I rewatched it on Netflix and some of the songs are different in Netflix (gasps) because of rights. They had to renegotiate. Oh, my God. So like, yeah, the end of like the cliffhanger at the end of season one. It's not Bad Moon Rising anymore. You're kidding. It's not. I don't know what song it is, but I watched it and I vividly remember that. And they changed it on Netflix. And I was like, well, I have to go back to my DVDs. See, what's crazy about that, not to already dive into a a change, but the end of season one, that cliffhanger being Mm -hmm. to Bad Moon Rising, then Teen Wolf had a a remake of Bad Moon Rising during season Mm -hmm. 3B when Styles is walking through the... the, hospital with the demon things and I I was always like oh well you know why does this song click so hard and I was like oh obviously because I've already I've already got a core moment with oh yeah (laughs) with it oh my Um, god I'll always remember where I was (laughs) (laughs) forever Forever. I was there I was there when the great war happened I watched it live I was right in the moment. Okay, so I well, was that's screaming actually, in my living room. That's a great question, though. So when yes. so you were into Supernatural as it was airing, season one. How did mm-hmm. you how did you get into it? What was the first moment that you clicked in? I can't be sure where I discovered it, but I'm pretty sure it was like a you know like a TV guide or like I was really into just like. All the shows that came out, I wanted to give like a cut one episode. You know, okay. I would read the descriptions when they were like, "What are the new shows of the year?" 
Um, yeah. And so, and th- so this show is on my radar. I want to say, I looked it up. I looked up like the episode descriptions for season one because I was like, I know I hopped on when a certain amount of back catalog was out, but it was still not at the halfway point. Of and I think season that, one? Yeah. Okay. And I think that the first episode I watched live was season one, episode 11. And it was the, uh, it was an episode called Scarecrow. Um, it was a classic monster of the week episode. Um, and I think that, I, I don't know, I think maybe someone, it's, I was 13 years old when this is coming out. So also like, I, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that like one of my friends at school had watched it and recommended it to me. Um, but I remember I, I, they would, I think usually CW back then, I can't remember if that was after it became CW or like when, the, when all of the changes were happening, but they would show um, like the last week's episode before. Um, oh, oh, okay. So I think yes. I had maybe just turned it on in the middle of like a rerun, the rerun one, and then it just went into the new episode. But a Monster of the Week episode was a really good jumping on point. Because um, I really like, epi- I liked episodic stuff. I didn't really want like huge overarching plots. I was used to like when my, you know, when my mom and I would watch stuff together, it was it was usually just like crime shows, mystery shows, or or all of those. I just wanted like long seasons where I could just hang out with characters. And so this was one of the first times that um, that a show bridged the gap um, oh, okay. of something that I loved between like a more just like, I'm going to jump in and just watch like either a sitcom or a mystery. Um, and those shows that would have like season long plot lines that you followed all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the first ones that I remember that kind of blended the two that I started to love. Um, but yeah, I remember the Scarecrow episode was the first time when I watched live and then I would like and then I went and like waited until on the TV Guide Network they would say that they were re-showing the old episodes, and I and I was just like hungry for watching it from <laughs> to the catch beginning. back up. Yeah, yeah. And then I would I I have I'm sure they still exist in my my parents' garage. I still have t- video like VCR tape after VCR tape that were just me recording Supernatural episodes so that I could rewatch them over and over again. I love that. I, I- remember laying on the floor. Um, like record, like pressing record, and then like stopping the recording so that I wouldn't have to watch the um, the commercials when I had to rewatch it. I was like, trying to make it. I was like, I want a streamlined viewing experience. So you were creating Netflix before Netflix existed. Yeah, I was a real pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> so we you know what? I really will take that credit. That. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, I've got it. Uh, what we need is a completely Damn, streamable. I really should have monetized that. Damn it. <laughs> I was a genius. <laughs> I knew what the people wanted before capitalism did. So did you watch it with other other people or was this like a core, like you were watching TV with your mom at that point where you, was this yeah. the first show you watched by yourself? Um, At first I think it was just me and then I eventually ended up roping my parents into watching it week, week to week. Um, okay. Like, you know, on the couch, like, you know, making sure that they were there. And then I roped all of my friends into watching it. Okay. Um. So we would we would have like day after at school debrief sessions yeah. about the night, like what happened the night before. We would theorize um, all of that fun stuff. Um, so it was the first one of like of the. Uh, there was a lot of other shows and there have been a lot of shows since where other friends have like brought like pulled me into their hyper fixation. Yeah. This is the first time where I was the driving force of bringing other people into like being like the, the person going out and preaching the good word of supernatural. So you've ruined lives is what I'm hearing. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh 
oh yeah, no, I deeply regret my actions. <laughs> and looking back and being, because back then I was also trying to get people to watch because it's crazy to think of today when we know it is this 15 season juggernaut. Right. Um, that, you know, was just going to run forever. But like, I, I remember every year it was on the bubble and there were campaigns to get it renewed. Yeah, there was, so was moments where to, you were like, it's it's going. Like, it's not going to Yeah, I was like, there's no way here. we're getting more. Yeah. yeah, and so you had to be part of the campaign. It was like, all right, friends, wa- like, watch the show so it doesn't get canceled. You know, mm-hmm. like, there was a time when, like, Supernatural had the, like, fan grassroots energy that, like, Our Flag Means Death has right now. Like, right. it's, it's kind of crazy, like, which is insane. Because <laughs> I feel like it's just, like, no, one it's is huge. very... Yeah, but, like, there wasn't... There's something really scary about being part of a fandom at that time. But like, I also think there is something that brings you into a hyper fixation about the danger because it feels special and it feels ephemeral. Yeah, I I would agree with that because I, I, I was, uh, you know, confession also watching Supernatural at the time. And uh, I definitely, my experience with it was not at season one. I think I started maybe when season two was almost done airing mm-hmm. um and it was absolutely one of my best friends in high school that it just we just constantly watched the same shows together and it was either mm-hmm. me pulling her into something or her pulling me into something and she was like there's this there's this show about two brothers that are hunting demons and saving lives and I was like well that works for me that sounds good um and I remember looking for the streams first of all because this was Mm pre-Netflix trying to find like a way to watch it finally catching it and getting up to up to um up to code but then realizing like if other people don't watch it it could be gone and we'll never know what happened yeah and I don't feel like that exists in the same way anymore like our flag means death had it recently and there was that big core like grassroots push push of it of like we want it and we want it now um but even that like it has star power it has a massive network behind Mm -hmm. it like it's bingeable it's on well and we're in a world of so much streaming and so many platforms that it's also like there's more of a feeling of like there's a chance it goes somewhere else. There's a chance yeah. it lives on in a different form. There's so many other ways to get media these days. Back then it was like this network renews it or else. It's or else, done yeah. forever. And the or else is so is so strong. I feel like because it like you were saying you had to literally record it on a VHS tape if you missed it. So mm-hmm. like you had to be home in time to watch it. And if you yeah. didn't, you had to wait a week until you were hopefully home early enough to watch the replay. Yeah. Um and then you had to worry about spoilers for a week. Like, you couldn't talk to your yeah. friends for a week. Yeah, for <laughs> a just, week. It was such a different world. <laughs> or you had to, like, give someone a... I remember I, like, had to give someone a VCR tape of the episode one time because a oh friend, God. like, had a, had a like, a rehearsal or a band thing or something. And the, and I, they were like, I have to wait. Like, and I, I want to know what happened. And I, like, literally brought the VCR to school and was like, watch this tonight. <laughs> So we can talk. We can discuss. Yeah. I wonder, or maybe how you feel about this, but whether or not fandom can build in the same way without Mm -hmm. that kind of feeling. Because using Our Flag Means Death as an example, again, like I've noticed these waves where you're on, you're on Tumblr and one day it's every post is this one show. Mm -hmm. And then the, it's only eight episodes or 10 episodes maybe, but it's only, mm-hmm. it's a short season. Supernatural was back in the 22 episode um, yeah. world. Um, there was just that. And there was a weekly hold for like half your year. You are every week watching Supernatural. It's an event. It's it's yeah. interesting because I think I like, I had a, like there was a time 
in like middle school, high school where like I had a show on like every night of the week. Mm-hmm. There was a show that I watched that I had like to look forward to at the end of the day. There was an event for me to look forward to when I got through my day. And, and so much of like, you know, when you're in, you know, middle school, which I think is even shittier than high school. Um, like you need those like events at the end of the day. Of, like I'm the most cringy version of myself, but I have something that I love that makes me feel like I'm being seen and it's like something's being made for me. And like, it, it's, it's a really cool feeling. And then just being able to go and like talk about it the next day there. I, I don't like the, like, I don't know. I just think of like, we were just talking about stranger things before we started recording mm-hmm. and like all of those episodes dropping at once is like this great communal experience for a couple days, but we're all experiencing it asynchronously. It's not like we're all sitting down and feeling the things in the moment. And like, like, so when like a cliffhanger happens, you're getting a call from your friend the second it happens. Yeah. Like literally we would watch the episode on TV, live TV together and then get on a phone call right right when it was done and talk about it. Yeah, I remember my dad watching me because when I think like it's so crazy to think, oh, there's a generation after us now because we're old. But um, yeah, <laughs> so that is oh, experiencing. God. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> so, but there's like a you know there's a generation now that's experiencing content in that way that you're talking about, where it's like Stranger Things is everything's out, and hopefully you watched it in a day, and then we can talk about it for a couple of days, and then we'll forget about it until they say it's coming back and then that's kind of it it's like that moment but I remember my dad coming home and watching me watch tv and it used to drive him crazy because I would be texting the entire episode and he Mm -hmm. was like how are you you're not even watching it I was like obviously I'm watching it I'm talking about every single yeah shot that's (laughs) happening right now someone else has to know (laughs) (laughs) um and there it was but it was such a I don't feel like it's the same anymore like it was such a communal experience of like Mm -hmm. I have to be home in time I have to watch it I have to talk about it while it's happening then I have to get on a phone call afterwards and talk about it more and then I have to talk about it at school tomorrow Mm -hmm. like it's it was such a living breathing moment and I do think we've gone out of our ways to even in the like um the like the the current release schedule in the media landscape, I do see ways that we are like still seeking out that same feeling with the current release schedule because I feel like they're like thinking about it. It's like a lot of the focus has has instead of you know going to the um, like the immediate reaction, like we're experiencing it together in the moment as it's airing, and it has gone a lot more towards like the community lives in the post-release fan works. Mm. And those have really expanded out and become like kind of bigger than the thing itself. Yeah. Like if you go into these communities that are like have, have huge fandom presence, like like to, to use kind of like to our, use Our Flag Means Death because yeah. it's just kind of this this amazing cultural juggernaut on it's the internet huge, right now. It's a huge movement right now, um, yeah. That like the show is obviously incredible and like the days that it's re- it was releasing were incredible and these reactions these like incredible reactions that were happening were amazing to be there for on the day Mm -hmm. but also like that is living on and like the the fandom is very much alive because of like because of you know fans are like painting renaissance paintings and shit stunning stunning stuff and baking these beautiful themed things and creating merch and doing cosplays and like writing like like not even just fanfic but like writing stuff in spec script format Mm -hmm. in a like and so it's like and and interacting with the creators and and really like critically engaging on like metatextual levels. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the like the in, the things that 
it, it's really kind of expanded out in an interesting way where we're still seeking that out, but just in a different way. And that's yeah. in a, but I also think that's kind of beautiful too, that instead of just reacting in the moment, it's creating things that we can then perpetually keep reacting to. That there's the original text and then there's the post text that is the fan text that keeps that going. And so we're reacting to the original show and then we're reacting to, reacting to the fan works and then we're reacting to creator interviews and creator engagement and fan activities and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to see that tradition live on just in a kind of a different format, but it, it's still a feeling that we want. It's ultimately to connect with people. Yeah, I, I think that's so interesting because it feels like for when something was airing the way Supernatural was back then, it was the moments while you were waiting for the next episode. So you really yeah. like dug in. Um, and I think fan fiction at the time was so different because you could try to predict what happened before yeah. next week. And then next week came and your fan, like the fan fiction you're reading doesn't doesn't make sense anymore it doesn't work yeah. or you were wrong or or you were right and that's crazy like yeah. um, and so mine was not right yeah. <laughs> um and then you like, write in between season fanfics and then like oh, okay what do i do now um but with but with something like the streaming world now it really lives in between like uh, to use our flag means death again it lives in that space of like what if we don't get anything else what if this is yeah. the only thing that what we if get? this is what carries on that legacy and like right. we have to it's also like a a lot of people were very bitter about like why is it taking so long for it to get renewed like why mm -hmm. um what if it's going to happen and there's a lot of bitterness about that so yeah. i think a lot of the fan works especially the fan fiction were had a kind of like really interesting punk rock like fuck you edge yeah of, like if you're not because it ended on such a huge cliffhanger it's like if you're not going to give us that closure and like preemptively saying like, fuck you, you won't. Yeah. I'm going to give that to myself and because I'm not going to be dependent on you for that closure. I, which I, I think is really cool in a way, but mm -hmm. also really speaks to like how much things have changed because it was mm -hmm. only a couple months. I mean, like mm -hmm. it obviously was super successful and should have been, yeah. you know, renewed as instantly as possible and all yeah. that. But like, it was like a couple months. I was like, they might be literally trying to figure out schedules and if it's possible. Yeah. And, you know, it yeah. wasn't it. But it feels so because of that. Maybe it's that because of that drop where it's like, OK, well, now I have every every episode and everything is so fast now. Like it, yeah. I demand it. Whereas like well, and it felt like forever back then, too. You know, yeah. like it, it wasn't like tomorrow. For, like <laughs> it, it always feels that way. Like in a certain yeah. way, it's like it's comforting because it's like. Yeah, no, and that was kind of what made me, like, weirdly nostalgic in the wait for that renewal, to be yeah. honest. Because I was like, oh, I haven't felt this way about, like, oh, God, I hope something gets renewed, like, since early Supernatural days. Wow. Like, it made me feel nostalgic for those days when I would just be like, oh, my, like, reading the, like, breakdowns of, like, what shows are, are like, probably going to yeah. get renewed, what shows are, are, like, definitely getting canceled, what shows are on the bubble, and seeing my favorite, and then being like, what are the, like, insider, like, magazines writing about its odds you know yeah. like reading like like fucking golden derby odds it feels like it's like <laughs> i'm like i'm like ah oh, god what are our shots at getting it oh, and like man. that was terrible in the moment like my stomach was in knots but like when that happened with this i i felt like a certain level of comfort of like i'm pretty sure it's gonna get renewed just when yeah it's but, just like when. yeah being in that there was a fun to it of just like i missed those days when i was like you know that engaged and i feel like I, I've been kind of disengaged from fandom a lot because I think also like adulthood treats you to be ashamed of that level of enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, because I definitely was a kid that was 
very enthusiastic and like people would kind of like half be like you're a lot um and so I think my adulthood I would try to train myself out of this and I'm trying to go back and and embrace those parts of myself more um but it was really cool being able to like be a part of something that that drew me in in that way that I hadn't allowed myself to in a long time just because like because people were so infectious with their energy and their love that reminded me of that time of being 13 and being like, are we going to get another one? This this huge cliffhanger set to Bad Moon Rising or, you know, whatever the other song on Netflix is now. <laughs> like, are we going to find out if they're okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I I, I totally agree. It felt, it just felt like the, uh, it felt very nostalgic at the time. Yeah. Um, and I, it was, it, it's almost, it's silly to say like, oh, I, I felt nostalgic for something that made me feel upset or like whatever. But yeah. it, I think it was kind of that community aspect that you're talking about, which is like, everyone feels this way right now. And mm-hmm. thousands of us are demanding, when is it coming back? <laughs> Who's going to know what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, and like seeking out that feeling. I remember how wonderful that felt. And like, yeah. now it was cool to have a moment where everyone was like, okay, but are we coming back? What are we doing? What are we, what's the Well, it's just the nice to be part of something to root for, too. Yeah. Um, I just think there's something interesting about about that, too, of just, like, having something to be, like, to just be enthusiastic about. Yeah. And not feel like you have, I feel like there, we're, we're so much in a time of, like, you have to have a take mm-hmm. on something, or you have to have, like, even on shows that you like, you have to be like, I dis- dissect the plot reasons for why I enjoy this thing because it has this statement about things and it was it had this profound effect on like made me realize things about. And it was just nice to have a show that's like, no, I, I like obviously it does have all those things. But at the end of the day, I love it just because like, I just love it. Yeah. And I don't have to explain why. I just like, I love it and I want more of it. Yeah. Because it just makes me happy. Which is what like that was, that initial hit was of Supernatural. We're like, this just makes me happy to be here. I love being in 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 like a place where I'm viewing something that I have such an emotional stake in. Because it's all like that's what art's about. It's about yeah. catharsis. Yeah. You know? It's fun to just like allow myself to have that catharsis. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm curious about like when you started watching Supernatural, you were 13, mm-hmm. um, which is a rough time for everyone. Oh, but, God, yeah. but like, what did your what did your life look like at the time? Were you I know like were you playing sports? Were you doing theater? What were you what were you doing um, at 13? I was only child. I okay. mean, not only child. I have two. I have two half brothers who were like 20 when I was born, you know. OK. Um, so I was my mom and my mom's only child. So very much raised in an only child fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so like quite sheltered, um, <laughs> quite shy and enthusiastic about things and like had lovely parents and have lovely parents who love my enthusiasm and very much fostered it. I was like a kid that was basically taken to every club and every hobby and like just try stuff, you know, very enthusiastic about just like trying things you like you can like try soccer if you don't mm-hmm. like it you don't ever have to do it again but like try it you know yeah. so fostering like curiosity about myself was a big thing um and my own interior life um I was going to a uh, private magnet school okay it was a like nerd straight A's kid cool. um didn't know that I wanted to do theater yet um I think it's that point I was still not sure if I wanted to like just like be a writer I wasn't sure like I wanted to for a long time I wanted to um be like an editor at a like a 
uh, what is a book company? I don't know. A publishing company. Because <laughs> um, okay. I would, um, I would, we're about to get into it. Uh, my friends would write fan fiction. Okay. And I would edit it for them. Oh, you were a beta reader. Yeah. I was like, okay. a, yeah. But like, they would give it to me on like notebook paper and I would, I would edit it, you know, like we had like, we had that, I don't know if your friends ever did this where you like, you would write back and forth notes in like a, like a notebook oh, okay. and just like hand it off to each other. And like one person would have it for a class period and would like comment on what other people had written. And like, sometimes you would make doodles and like other people would add to the doodles and someone would write a story and then another person would comment on the story. And that just oh, sort so of like, cool. I did not do that, but I, I am jealous now. <laughs> yeah. And that like spiraled outward and like, so people just write stories and stuff like that. And then start, people would start bringing in like printed out versions of their fanfic. Mm-hmm. And we would just like write up like like in like red marker, yeah. like just like write up on it, um, which was which is very fun. And like now I have we have the word for it, like beta reader. But like yeah. back then I didn't I did not know like anything like I had, you know, at that point, that was my first exposure to fan fiction was just like my friends passing it off. And then like. You know, I think one of my friends was like, you know, told me about fanfiction.net and that, you know, opened the world. And this was with Supernatural, like hand in hand. That was like with Supernatural um, because I was just like, because it was mainly just because like the weeks were just too fucking long apart. And I was just like, I want more content. Yeah. Like I was just like, I just wanted like, um, there was a Supernatural like website. It was like a fan site. Mm -hmm. I remember in the first season was coming out where like they had different fan writers and I remember they did in between seasons, every week they would put up a new, like in a script format, a like spec script season with like a oh. different writer for every episode. Wow. And they did like an entire like 20 episode season that would just like release regularly. And I read those and I remember like truly like my entire life revolved around this show for like a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, well, in, like, it's, hard, they would... it's hard not to. It was 15 years. Well, and like the, the like the side, the audition sides for minor characters would like leak on the internet. Mm hmm. And so people would, like, dissect that on the fan forums of, of like, okay, based on this side, what do we think is happening in this episode? Wow. Um, like, what's the monster of the week that's coming up? Like, I was huge into spoilers. I didn't care. So you wanted to know. You were like, let me know every single possible thing. Yeah, I was like, happen. I want to know everything. Give me more <laughs> content. Put it in my veins. Like, yeah. Um, this was, like, right before I got into theater. Okay. Because, like, I incidentally ended up in theater because we had one of those schools that's, like, try and, ele- like, oh, you had to, like, rotate through the electives and then pick one. Mm, yeah. Um, And that's how I ended up doing theater. Um, but, yeah, I was just, like, a middle schooler. I didn't have a ton going on in my life. I was not sporty at yeah. all. Like, okay. tried it. I quit the soccer team that my dad was the coach of. Like, <laughs> So you were like, nope, it's not working. Every- I was like, this is, it's Florida. Yeah. It's fucking hot. I'm not doing it. Okay. Yeah. Always like the idea of sports. And then we get to like one match that's outside in the heat on a weekend. And I'd be like, I just want to be at home. Like, I yeah. don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was an indoor sports girl for that very reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, I want to read books. I read so many books. Yeah. Um, And so like it was re- it really was just like I'm <laughs> it's really basic. It's just like I'm like I feel like I'm every stereotypical kid that ended up getting into this type of thing. You know, like I yeah. was just like loved my chemical romance. Like that was my other like number Big, one. Of, this was like around the Black Parade era. Like oh, so it's classic. just yeah. all tracks for me. Like you know, I, I was the, the classic target for the you know to bring up a cursed word super hulak. Um, <laughs> I, it was a cursed time and I was a cursed child, you know, Um. <laughs> 
So yeah, that was for, what my life for, is like. You for know, those who the, those of us who don't know, Super Hulak is uh, referring to Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock for, on the BBC. Yeah. Um, so yes, if you yes, yes. if you mix all three together, you have what's called a um, a path to death. I would. Yeah, say. it's truly just like <laughs> the the most shameful part of my life. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever like pridefully was like I'm I'm a fan of that tra-. like but like I was yeah. a fan independently of all three and all of the shows that were then also fans like people that were fans of those three were also fans of I also mm-hmm. jumped on BBC Merlin I was there like I saw uh, I saw all the wars I I've been through pretty much all of the trenches that you possibly <laughs> could be through I was there you've left good men in the trenches and you've uh, come out on the other side <laughs> yeah I never got involved in the wars but I was on Tumblr when they happened oh yes well, you know, the thing about Super Hulak, I think anybody who's heard that word and was online at the time, like, mm-hmm. shivers when it comes out. So I'm sure anyone listening to this. That if you know, you know. Is, you're just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was such, looking back on it, it's such an interesting intersection of mm-hmm. shows that that don't necessarily have anything in common. Like mm-hmm. Doctor Who and 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 supernatural you can sort of get there there's there's yeah. uh you know a science fiction element there's a monster of the week there's mm-hmm. an adventure to be had of some sort um there's sort of themes of family and those kinds mm-hmm. of things and then sherlock getting getting kind of stuck in one mm-hmm. of the things that i started thinking about is like it feels like and kind of what you're describing too it felt like three shows that gave you this idea that I'm the person who's ignored and something extraordinary could happen to me Mm. because I, I, I feel like that was what linked those three together Mm. with supernatural. It was like, you know, you come through, you come through Sam. I always want to call him Dean because he was Dean in Gilmore girls. And I always thought that was so funny. It's so confusing (laughs) because I also watched all of Gilmore girls and I heard it was confusing for me too. Yeah. It was so, I was a Sam girl for the record. I was wrong. uh, you were a Sam girl. Ooh, I was. I know. End this interview. <laughs> no, I know. I, I was a Sam girl, and then when I went back and watched all the seasons, I was. I can admit, I was fully wrong. Yeah, absolutely. All about Dean. It, it is, is all, fully ugh. about Dean. I just. I and I. I did a rewatch recently too, and and rewatching it, I was like, how did anyone ever like Sam? <laughs> I, I I agree. Like I I rewatched like to to completely sidetrack like what we were yeah. talking about during. I I think I I pretty much fell off the show. For a decently long while. Okay. Um, and then during the pandemic, I rediscovered it. I rewatched all of it. And then I, I, I watched all the way to the end. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I, the whole thing, I was just like, I literally don't know how I ever thought that Sam was superior to Dean. I think yeah. it was because as a kid, I just was like, Sam is the prettier one and seems less like masculine. And so it was okay to have a mm. crush on him. Okay. It was a lot more about like. I'm a 13-year-old girl. He's tall and has floppy hair. Mm. Um, and then when I'm older, I appreciate storytelling and, like, good characters. And I and I was like, well, Dean's obviously clearly more interesting. I, I have actually found, talking to people about it, um, I'm an older sibling. Mm-hmm. And I've found that people who are either only children or, or younger siblings, the Dean thing takes longer to connect. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I, I mean, I think it's just a direct, like, response to yeah. being just being like oh yeah I get that I get that feeling yeah um but yeah I I think I, I I have recently just been thinking about like why did those three become this like amorphous blob um mm-hmm. and I'm so curious about like 
I mean, you were grounded in reality. I don't know that you were thinking someone's going to come out of a, out of space with a big blue box, yeah. but. It's interesting. I, I, hmm. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm thinking like right now, my first thought is just like what connects them? Like, because I also think like the Sherlock Holmes Doctor Who of it all makes sense mm-hmm. to me because there was just a trend of American kids really getting into British things. Absolutely, yeah. So I also think there is a, like, this is different because it's British, you know? Mm. And they also, I think all three of them, the other thing that I think really draws them together is that they all felt like cult things to be into. Mm. They all felt, like, distinctly, like, uncool. Like, they were very cool things that in the moment felt like they were uncool things that you could root for. Like, Doctor Who has this kind of, like, classic nerdy, like, backstory. Like, it has, like, yeah. such a such a lengthy history. But, like, it still felt like to like it, especially in America, felt like mm-hmm. a very lame thing. And also felt like a, a thing that, like, other people didn't know about. Yeah. Um, and Supernatural also was, like, constant in the bubble. Like, and not a lot of people knew about it. It was... Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Like merch was very much like you have to go on, like not even Etsy because it didn't exist, like eBay and people were making shit, you know? Yeah. Like, and then Sherlock, I remember I had the classic fan thing of like, I discovered this when it like the first season was airing on Masterpiece (laughs) TV because like my mom (laughs) loves PBS. Okay. And then I was like, I was cool because I got here first, you know? Yeah. Or like for me, that was so much of it, which was such a shitty thing too. Yeah. Is me being like, I got there first, so I'm a good fan, and therefore I felt ownership over it. Mm, and I think yeah. we, that's a weird thing that I think a lot of people in specifically the Sherlock fandom have, where it's like there's a weird superiority because you like Sherlock. Like, I don't know. I yeah. think that all three of them, and I think that that's why it has such a bad internet reputation, like the the triumvirate. Yeah. <laughs> in a way is because I think the like stereotypical view of people who liked all three were people that came in and were like, we're better than you. I feel like that's because we like these nerdy shows. We're the best. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's it. You know, but I think, I think it was the thing that was weird about that to me though, because I mm -hmm. totally agree. But the thing that was weird to me about that was that it almost felt like it came from like, this is the one thing I can be better than people at. Yeah. Um, You know, like I was just like, I just remember when those shows were airing, like, uh, there was, like, a clear... That was when the clear social split of, like, girls who were going to parties and girls who were watching TV, like, nonstop and being weird about it. That's where that split started to come. Well, that's before I found theater and found my community there. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I didn't feel like I was particularly exceptional in any way, like, just in my, my, like, middle school. You know, I wasn't involved in sports. Like, I was unsuccessfully involved in sports. I was... You know, I was good in school, but not, like, the best. Yeah. I didn't have any, like, big clubs I was a part of. And, like, I was an only child. Mm-hmm. So I wanted something to be, you just, at a certain point, you just want something to be your thing. Yeah. You know, you want something to have ownership over. Yeah. And to make you, like, memorable. Because I also think, like, in middle school and high school, it's like one of the, the leading feelings that you feel that is that just like torments you is feeling invisible. Mm-hmm. And part of that can feel, it can feel like it's your fault for not being interesting enough. Rather than kind of like everyone going through their own thing, it can feel like the pressure's on you to make friends and to be visible and to be interesting and to have yourself figured out and like even and like now you see that manifesting and like kids having to have like a feeling like they have to have a fucking brand 
Yeah. You know, like having to have like hashtags and TikToks and you have to have a social media presence. Right. And like, I think that just manifested in like, once you found something that it's like, I love this, it's easy to make that your identity because you, it is something that you are innately searching for Mm -hmm. is something to make your identity and to make yourself memorable to other people just so that they see you. Um, and it's easy for that to go in, in too far in the opposite direction to be like, I'm better than you because this is my identity, you know? Yeah, Because yeah, you're so absolutely. thirsty for recognition in any way. Yeah, and um, it's so it's so funny, too, because it's like the people who you would be saying that to are like, okay, like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're like trying so hard. And I think what's, what's also really interesting about those three shows, I think, there's a really interesting undercurrent of it, and I don't know like what it is, but it's also like... There are shows with, in Supernatural's case, two men. And then the other show is, like, one man who mm-hmm. is, like, a genius or is, like, exceptional in some way or, like, to- and, like, tortured in some way. Yeah. Or, and, and most importantly is um, emotionally cold and aloof but with mm. hidden depths. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a feeling that invites a feeling of ownership to fans that it's, like, I'm the one that understands this character. Yeah that allows you to project yourself onto that character and like and be like this badass character is actually like someone only I could understand. I actually think that's really interesting because I was talking about this with a friend recently about how all of the characters that I felt connected to growing up like pre-college and even really through college as well it's only recently that some of those characters have started to be women. Um, mm-hmm. Like every character growing up, it was like it was Tony Stark, it was Sherlock, it was yeah. um, it was the Doctor, it was it was Dean Winchester, who was the mm-hmm. the most emotionally constipated yeah. <laughs> man available. Um, but something that I thought was that kind of was interesting when I was talking to her about it was that there is this, at least in earlier media too, there's just this understanding that women are going to be more emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. in a conversation. Like Mm -hmm. they are able to say, this is how I feel and this is why I feel this way and I want to express that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from, from, you know, societally that it's more acceptable, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like as a teenage girl, you feel like you can express how you feel that way, that openly. Yeah. Um, and so it always, I always found myself being like, this just doesn't, I just don't connect with this character. I don't connect with this woman who just can walk into a room and say, this is how I'm feeling and I'm upset. I yeah. do connect with this man who doesn't want to talk about it and that's would rather That's so shoot. interesting because I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. And like it manifests in a different way for, for them. Like it is yeah. a much more like toxically male way. Yeah. But you're right. There is something in that of like, I don't, I feel like I also have to hide my feelings under a bunch of stuff just to get through the day. Yeah. And even that, though that manifests in a completely different way, I sense instinctively and can feel a kinship to someone who's going through something similar. Mm-hmm. Because I, that's what I was always drawn to on the show. That, that moment of not. like not being able to, yeah. Well, and the moments where like, I mean, like truly like, I think that there was something really interesting that I've always tried to figure out. Like, is it because like, you know, as a girl, you're like intimidated by men. Is it because like, this is a way of me watching like men processing their feelings and like dealing with toxic masculinity. But I think that you're right. I think it is more that, that it is like the more like, not like the feminine side of it is what draws us to it. Yeah. Is that feeling of like, I don't know. It is like an interesting universality that I feel like we only deal with in that type of media. 
Yeah. That I think is like feels like it is geared towards women and not just in a like because it never was like even though I was like I have a crush on Sam Winchester like that was never why I stayed watching the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was such a Dean girl, but it was never. It was for them. I do. I do think back on it, though, because those shows on paper should have had huge male fan bases like two brothers traveling the country to fight demons. That's that's a show for guys. Absolutely. But to me, it was like there were huge female audiences for that show. And it was a ton of women in like teenage girls and women in their 20s. And I, I think so much of it for me was just like I was just like I I feel seen in some way, which sounds so crazy to be like, I would rather, you know, shoot demons with a salt like shotgun, but uh, then talk about my feelings. But like I would sometimes like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah I would yeah I think I would like there's a certain element of like now with the benefit of hindsight like I feel I do feel seen by by Dean Winchester yeah like it which is crazy shit yeah like, but being like my 13 year old self like and, and also because I, I think that's in the performance and you can feel it yeah of like this is a character who is embarrassed to, to show vulnerability mm-hmm. it's not like he hates the vulnerability like it's not like and some, I mean, maybe it is, but I don't know. Like, I never felt like it was coming from a true place of toxicity. It was coming from a place of like, I'm embarrassed and I, and I, or, or more like, I can't let myself feel this way. Like, because I have to survive the day. Yeah. It felt like there are bigger problems than how I feel. And so I yeah. have to keep moving. And that to me feels so human. Like, especially, yeah. I don't know about you, but I was a hyper-stressed <laughs> teenager. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I was like, at any moment, like I have to go to class. You're, go- you're, you're in school all day, regardless of what level of classes you're taking. You're in school nonstop. You have some sort of probably extracurricular. Your parents are expecting things from you. Your friends are also, like, I think back on it now, but I'm like, eight hours of being with the same people in a social circle five days a week like that's exhausting (laughs) um, terrible and yeah and I just there's just so much I remember I would get in the car at the end of the day like my dad would pick me up from school and I remember he would always like and I know why he does that because he was so curious about my day he'd be like how was your day and he'd want to like go over like everything that happened in my day Mm -hmm. and I just remember completely shutting down and being like I just had to be in school for eight hours yeah and I don't want to be there anymore like I don't want to like talk about it I don't want to talk about my feelings I don't want to talk about like all the shitty things that I felt all day and like the you know the live wire I felt like I had to do and the armor I felt like I had to put on to do it yeah I just kind of want to like sit here in silence and listen to music (laughs) yeah and I think that like there's something about that that like keeps coming up as a scene Right. Of like, I don't want to talk about the shitty things that happened in my day. I just want to sit in the car with my dad and, like, listen to music. And, like, and, and I guess I really never thought of it that way. That, like, that's what the character feels. And so innately, I was just like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And I like this guy. And, like, to this day, I'm like, I like this guy. I like this. <laughs> I like this character. I mean, he's ter- like, truly, there are some moments where I'm like, terrible shit. Yeah. But, like, at the core... That's what I think the character is. Yeah. That's just like, I'm pushing through the day and I guess one day I'll rest, but maybe not. Like, and I think yeah. that there's, and that archetype of character just like keeps coming up in these fandoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I, it's so interesting to you because I've always been curious as to why 
that's such a distinctly like it's just given to to male characters so specifically um and i don't know if that's also the doctor and that's also sherlock yeah well you know what we solved it there's the link (laughs) like that's it like (laughs) it's yeah and the doctor there i remember some of my favorite episodes of doctor who were the moments where you got a peek behind that like it's the when the facade breaks yeah yeah because it's it's doctor who is the the opposite of like a kind of you know grumpy male character this is like especially it's the opposite when, end of the yeah. spectrum it's like toxic positivity in a way. yeah he's like everything's great everything's so fun and I think that's why we responded to specifically david Tennant so well yes who's like is my doctor you know absolutely like absolutely same and it's like because of those moments where he's like the nicest man on earth and then he completely fucking cracks and you see what's underneath and you're like oh my god yeah that's yeah. what's going on because but you also like it all tracks it all makes sense that this is this person with this burden on them. Also, like to take it out of the personal and just to take it onto like a macro like storytelling level, mm-hmm. it's also just always satisfying to watch characters that have like internal uh contradictions to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I I that really blew up like blew open a lot of doors for me. And like when I when I read about that, like kind of that like basic character rule of like characters should be like, it's this but this and those two things should be constantly in opposition to each other yeah where it's like dean winchester is constantly like searching for rest and approval and love yeah but will not let himself have it yeah and will like will actively kill the parts of himself that reach out to another human being in any in any way right um that it's like it is a constant back and like at any given moment and you can like keep this going for 15 seasons he can go back and forth and he can go into this tug of war and it only requires himself. You can have anything going on around him and like it honestly doesn't matter because everything that needs to happen with that conflict of that character happens entirely within himself. It's just so it's 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 really crazy to be able to look back on it at this point like where we're. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even want to say fully formed his, uh, are we? But, but <laughs> just more like aware. <laughs> more aware. Yeah. And to be able to say, OK, well, that's what it was. That's what it, that's what made me feel like someone got me. Um, yeah. And then to take it like one step further to then go on the Internet and say other people feel seen by the same thing, um, I think, is where that fandom element of it comes from. Like yeah. to be such a deep fan that you have to go and expand the story you have to go write more you have to go yeah you know you have to go like theorize for months and months about like i I always love like reading meta from fans specifically Mm. fans of shows that are between seasons Mm -hmm. because like they don't turn into like full fanfics but i love watching people like analyzing the like six seasons of a show that have come before like evidence and like looking at it and really tearing it like not even tearing it apart but like like picking it apart at like the plot elements and trying to like reverse engineer the conversations that ha- that were had in a writer's room about mm-hmm. like a multi-season arc and trying to like reverse engineer detective figure out where we are in a larger arc and therefore extrapolate outwards yeah like where we're going and the, what was to before where we're going yeah based on the clues of what's come before and our knowledge of story structure mm-hmm. and i always think that that's so fascinating and those things have like actively made me understand tropes and structure more than like any book about story ever has 
I yeah, you know, the thing I will say when I ended up going to film school, ultimately, mm-hmm. when I took my first media crit class, um, one of the things that we had to do was he my, my professor showed us um, the like title sequences, the, the t- opening credits for a couple of TV shows. And then he made us read papers, like real academic papers that had been published about how these each shot related to the themes of the show, what it told you, what it set you up to understand. Um, And now, of course, like with Netflix, we have Mm -hmm. the skip intro button and everything like that, which totally I am guilty of skipping. But there are so many little things like succession right now. If you watch the opening credits every time it changes, which kid is closer and all these little story moments that are in that but I remember sitting in class reading this paper and being like I've read this before on Tumblr it's what 13 14 15 year olds are sitting there and explaining and breaking down incredible genuine master's level understanding of film and of these different moments and it's it's so interesting because I think that when you read it on Tumblr and you say like I spent hours yeah. last night going through every frame of the Teen Wolf credits and explaining what it might what it means and what it means to the character, that's the type of thing that people are like, oh, you're weird. But then if you're older and you say I have a film degree, well now it's legitimate. Now it's real, and that's it's just there's so many of these little moments where it's like you know you're not you're not uh it's not legitimate because you love it so much it's not real but it is it's it's literally well and especially when those people go on to create their own things like yeah. like we both have like it's it's a like even if we're making things as we are that are kind of like not they are and are not similar to that those things that were formative to us but like they still give you the tools to know what you like and don't like yeah in terms of tropes and in terms of characters and like I don't know. There's, there's, there is story structure in my bones that I wouldn't have if I didn't watch these long running shows and yeah. knew like what worked on me and what didn't. Right. Tropes are tropes for a reason. Like obviously, any show that runs for fifteen seasons, yeah, is gonna fall like into a bunch of tropes, and a lot of them aren't gonna work. Like the latter seasons, like let's be clear, I do not stand by everything that Supernatural <laughs> did. Like. I also feel like it's taken me a long time to get to that point, but like I do, the supernatural very much did many things wrong. Yeah. Like let's get it. Also, you did really wrong by by your female characters. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but it also like it is important to see media do things wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in the way that you interact with your fans, like it's it is also quite interesting that of the like super who luck triumvirate, there are. Two of those three that ended in very unpopular ways. Yeah. And one of them still has a chance to do so. (laughs) You still got a chance. But it was also just like, we've gone down so many rabbit holes. Yeah. I just think it's really interesting to watch shows that start out leaning so much into what the fans want Mm -hmm. that then grow to be ashamed of that Mm. and then turn into something else. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I'm kind of fascinated by where that happens, mm-hmm. where it's like, I, I don't know, like, it, to talk about Sherlock really briefly, it's like, I, I've gone on so many rants about, like, the last couple seasons, like, anyone who knows me is like, you bring up Sherlock, I'll rant for fucking 40 minutes <laughs> about how much I hate that last season. But it's just like, it's because I'm just, I'm kind of fascinated by how sometimes, like, creators who have so much meta written about a show. Mm-hmm. 
and like fans who are so thoughtful and are like finding so many details about a story that they think that like has been written and then watch a creator be like, well, we can't let them figure it out. Mm. We can't let them like, it's like specifically like because people care so much yeah, and because they like quote unquote like figured out the ending. You're mad that they spoiled it because they understood that you were telling a good and well-told story that therefore you have to go back and change it to something that, and I think this is something that's like in the larger cultural landscape that mm-hmm. people are doing where like surprise is valued more than than finishing the arc of a good story. Oh, absolutely. That shock, I, you know, and I think that's such an interesting point about like where does the creator start to feel like I have to I have to surprise people because mm-hmm. sometimes I think the best stories are the ones like the best written shows sometimes are the ones where you can guess the next line before they say it. Exactly. Because it means you understand what's happening. Yeah. And there's something I think in I don't and I don't know if it only came from internet culture or if it came from um if it's always been there like if there's always been a level of fandom influencing creator but there is some sort of response where it is like well if they can figure it out then that's wrong that's bad and it's 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 always interesting to me because it's like or that's I, a bad thing on me the creator that means i'm doing a bad job right yes it's like it actually means you're doing a good job no it means you're doing a great job it means yeah. that that's why it's like you're really tracking it they always say like the best plot twist is one that you should have seen coming the whole time and um, i think the best finales are the ones that feel inevitable yeah that are like other what are the ones that end and you go oh of course it always should have ended this way yeah that's a sad that's how you make it satisfying a satisfying ending isn't one that comes out of nowhere like i think of game of thrones all the time i think everyone thinks of game of thrones all the time yeah. but it's just like i i can't think of a single finale that was good because it was surprised me no yeah i can't think a, of anything good finales are all like i i think of like you know, I don't want to, like, spoilers. Um, but, like, Six Feet Under. Mm. But it's a story that is about a family at a that run a funeral home. Mm-hmm. And it is an entire show that is about their lives there and is about, like, relationships with death and, and our, like, day-to-day lives with death. Spoiler alert for a show that's been out for a long time. The last episode ends with a long sequence where you just see every single character that is of consequence on that show. You see how they die. Mm. And it's just a long montage where you just see their final, like, you see, you've seen their lives for so many seasons. And at the end, you see... How they end their lives. Yeah. Which for a show that is about death. No, that's and is about our relationship fit. with death and treating it, you know, maybe more casually and, and and being more frank about it. It feels right that it ends with the frank depiction of that and not shying away from that. Mm-hmm. And that's not a surprise. Like I, I think that like everyone who watched that show could have told you that's the end, but it's still one of the most moving finales I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it feels true to the thesis of the show. Yeah. And I'd almost I'd always rather have have a journey end reestablishing its thesis than and being true to what the story that it's telling than surprising me. And I, and like, and that is the sign of, because that's a sign of a good creator with a, with a clear artistic vision. Yeah. I, I, you know, and that's why it's, it's so frustrating to see so many shows that are just like, well, you figured it out. So I got to change. I got to switch. We got to pivot. Um, you know, something that this brings up that I would love to talk about is the idea of fix it, fic. Um, which if you are not familiar with that while you're listening to this show, Fix It Fic is a genre of fan fiction where something happens on a show and a fan feels that that is devastatingly wrong and shouldn't have been where the story went and they write 
uh, a fix it. They write a, a version, a Band-Aid of what it should have I feel happened. like if you were in the Magicians fandom a few years ago, um, you probably read one because <laughs> you probably needed it. Yeah. Um, I think, but I think, uh, I think every fandom we've mentioned today probably had a, a oh god yeah large chunk of that um, oh god yeah yeah so so what is do you have a, do you have any personal experience with fix it fit is that your your that's shtick? not what that's not really what I wrote I like when I was writing it I was writing basically between seasons of supernatural mm. I was like I was doing the thing we talked about earlier where like you know I don't know if we're gonna get another season so I'm gonna come out and like write what I think the next season should be. Mm, Basically, like, extrapolating outwards from, like, what the themes were of this, I'm going to, like, write outward. Um, And then once the new season came out, I just sort of kept writing. Um, And so I was basically in, like, a would probably be called, like, a a canon AU, where it's, like, Mm. same world, but, like, like, you know. Canon divergent almost, yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, But I read a lot of Fix It. Yeah. Like, that was, you know. I mean, I feel like that's, like, most people's, like, if you don't almost. write fic, yeah. then that's probably what sent you to fic. Yeah, <laughs> you're like uh, unless you were like, I want to watch, these, I want to like read these characters fucking. Like, yeah, that yeah. Was, those are probably <laughs> those like are the two, two number ones. <laughs> you're either um, looking for sex or looking for well, a and I probably, I'm like usually like when people when I when people find out that I used to write fanfic, they're like, oh, like characters fucking, and mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I was 14, and yet somehow <laughs> not at all. I was really interested in making these men cry around each other. Yeah. Uh, I just really wanted them to talk about their feelings. Um, But, like, yeah, I think that it's... <laughs> yeah, no. Like, Fix It is so important because it's also, like, we... sometimes you're just fucking mad because people fucked <laughs> it up. Like, Yeah. Even if you... I guarantee that every fucking person who consumes media has at the very least written one in their fucking head. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're not putting it out on the internet, which, again, many people, yeah. like, don't. Yeah. And also, like, many people write things and just never put them out there, which, like, I did for a long time. I mm-hmm. just wouldn't post it. Yeah. I don't know. No media is going to satisfy you 100%. Right. Yeah, and I think I think there's something really... Mm, I hate to overuse the word magical, but there's something really magical about feeling like, I wish this would have ended this way, or how did you mm-hmm. miss what was what you put out there you put it on the page how did you miss it um well yeah and like I even if I don't write fix it fic like the amount of times that me and and my my fiance Ian we will go see movies that are incredibly frustrating and then come back and in the in the car and then in our home while we're making dinner while we're like getting ready for bed, spend multiple hours just re-pitching the movie that we just watched (laughs) or the TV show that we just watched. Yeah. Like, basically, that's what we're doing is that we're just, like, we're incredibly frustrated with what we just watched. But also, like, I'm, I think that a lot of people are, and especially people who, like, create content, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in, like, taking things, like, apart for parts and seeing, like, there's something in here that made me want it to work. It didn't work for me. What could it have done that would make me work? And can I learn something from that? Mm. That like makes me a better creator going forward so that I can like make something more satisfying in the future. Yeah. You know? And there's something and like and that's a form of fix it, like fic. Oh, absolutely. Just like and I think we've all done that with our friends of just yeah. like that was that that was bullshit. That should have ended like that way, you know? Yeah. Like you know, people watch Endgame and they're like, blank shouldn't have died. Like they, like I would have done it this way. This yeah. should have happened, you know? 
Um, yeah. No, and I, I think what's so what's so interesting about that too is that oftentimes, because I do that all the time, um, nonstop. It's so fun. So, <laughs> so fun. So fun. And what, one of the things I've always thought that is so interesting that I think maybe, maybe people who don't do this don't understand is that it's, usually it's something that you that you did enjoy like it's something mm-hmm. that you liked enough that you're like it's so upsetting that it didn't work out this way oh um, yeah no I wouldn't fucking scream about Sherlock as much as I did if I did not love that show yeah <laughs> like, exactly it's something something about it was so right it's just that yeah. I love it so much that I want you to do it exactly the way I said um, exactly and it feels like I'm right because you put it on the page and then yeah. on the screen and now I like I, how how did you not realize that I'm right because yeah. obviously if you would have called me, I could have helped you. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's also just sometimes it's like you had all the pieces set up. Yeah. Just fucking push the dominoes down and let it happen. Right. Just fucking finish it. Right. Like, all you had to do, you were right there. Just push it across the line. <laughs> it's just like, ah! But, you know, so something I think is interesting, actually, is like earlier you said you're trying to get back into letting yourself be a fan of things and mm-hmm. be enthusiastic. Um, mm-hmm. And there is this point in time, I think, in all of our lives where, like, you start to feel the pressure of, I think you always feel the pressure of, like, being this enthusiastic is embarrassing, but you start to find yourself bending to that pressure to become, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, an adult. Do you have, like, a core moment where you remember that being, the like, the first time you started to think, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this like this? Oh, man. That's hard because I really do think it was like a slow and steady thing. Mm. And I, and because part of me also feels like I just traded one like quote unquote cringe thing for another quote unquote cringe thing when I got into musical theater. (laughs) Because really like it came to just like I got into musical theater and then like the fandom stuff sort of like died down a little bit and then I was in musical theater and I was like oh I'm a huge fan of Glee this is so much better way less cringe (laughs) oh my god then from musical theater just was like cool I'm gonna be a Shakespeare nerd now and like I I think it's like there was no point when I was like I have to hide all of myself yeah but I did like mutate it into what I thought were more acceptable ways and more acceptable pockets of people Mm mm-hmm where I would just sort of like, okay, fandom isn't like sustainable. Like there's not as many people. Because it was mainly like I went to high school and a lot of my friends from middle school went to other schools. Okay. I went to um when I went to an arts magnet school and my other friends went to like a, a baccalaureate school basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't, I wasn't around them as much. And so I didn't have that like community of people who were like that sounding board. Yeah. And I found theater and like no one really – you know, I couldn't really get those those people into, into those it. things. Interesting. You know, and so it just, it became easier to, and I really like theater. And I liked musical theater. It became more interesting because I was in that crowd and it became more, just became easier to fully invest myself in that instead. Yeah. So not, nothing too, nothing too sharp, but it's. Uh, and nothing like traumatic, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of like, you know. The feeling that we all have where you go on a rant about something and you can see the other person's eyes glazing over. Mm. Yeah. You know, which isn't a bad thing and isn't traumatic, but it is just sort of like, oh, God, I'm being exhausting. Yeah. Which I still like, you know, with 
that Ian, my fiance, is like is really good about is like always making me feel like even when I'm on a rant, like I'm listening to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm engaging with you. Because he because early on I there were moments where I like he would be, you know, doing something else and I'd be talking about this and then I'd be like, oh shit, I'm being like super cringy and annoying and he was like no 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 no. i'm refocusing all my stuff on you i don't want you to feel that way mm. and so now he like took that and is like actively fostering that in me and like encouraging that yeah oh i love that which has been really really lovely and is one of the main reasons i love him um <laughs> but yeah. that's you know we we've also just like grown into that together yeah where i'm also fostering that in in him yeah because it's also just more interesting to be as adults, to not hide that from each other, to, like, our relationship is founded so much on those nerdy things, like, quote-unquote nerdy things. Yeah. And those, like, fandom things. And we have fandoms together now. Yeah. Which is really cool. And he's so supportive of, like, the, you know, the hyperfixations I get into, you know? <laughs> did you like, guys... Like, Our Flag Means Death recently. Yeah. Did you guys connect over fandom initially or or some a piece of something? Or did you guys just meet? Uh, well, we're both, like, Shakespeare nerds, so we kind of initially, like connected over that but it's been really cool in in quarantine some of our projects have been sharing those like shows with each other he like he he was really into like teen shows that time so he was like he was obsessed with the oc when he was younger oh okay so he was like took me through all of that and then like when i was doing my supernatural we rewatch he'd be like working from home in the other room and we'd come in like every third episode and like sit down and watch with me for a little bit and i would just explain to him like this is what what's happening and he'd be like i have no idea what that is but like tell me about it yeah Who's Castiel? Like, um... I don't know what's happening. And, like, <laughs> and then he would like, in a really lovely way, like create bits about it. And he'd remember these things. And like, we would talk about that. And I would, and like, we would like at a certain point, like pitch fix it's together. Yeah. And like, and it's been a really, it was a really, really lovely thing that we got to do. And that I got to share with him and that we got to share with each other. Yeah. And that made us, I think, understand each other so much more because also like we, we create together, we write together. Right. And so it's it's also really interesting sometimes when you're writing with someone and you're seeing what they write and then you get to go back and watch the things that inspired them that were there when they were like hyper fixating when they were 13. Yeah. And seeing like, oh, you took that from that. Mm. And like I see those like those foundational bones be, that, that grew within you to create the like the artistic self that you are. Yeah. And, and it's something that, like, he, you know, he'll point out to me, like, oh, you took that thing from that. And I hadn't even realized that, you right. know? Oh, I or love it's that. like, oh, you did that because, you like, you pitched that idea to me because you were angry that it didn't happen here. <laughs> and I had never realized that, but it's like, oh, you're just fucking exercising. Like, we're all, as artists, just exercising demons of, like, lost opportunities mm. from oh, the really media like that, that we loved. Yeah. I think. To I some that. degree. And that, and that isn't something I think to be ashamed of. I think that's something that's really cool because like all art, no art is made in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like we're all like, so in some ways, like we, I think we always like, we know that and we always say that in like, no art's created in a vacuum. We're all inspired right. by the people who created art before us. And we're all building on the, like we're standing on the bones of giants, you know, like yeah, we're yeah. really building on that. But sometimes you're creating art in spite. yeah. You're creating art because you're like, I'm pissed off that this thing that I love did it wrong. And I want to give to people a story where that's done right. I I really think there's something strong about that because there is this 
sometimes I think through and there's that that sort of basic of like oh you wrote fan fiction and that's why you were connected to writing and then you became blah 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 blah. and people like to make it like an easy one-to-one um and I think it's not the case I think there's Mm -hmm. like there's there's such an interesting piece of what you just said which is that it's creation born out of dissatisfaction Mm -hmm. and wanting to give someone the feeling of completion that you didn't get but Mm -hmm. then getting your own fandom and finding like Oh, I, mm-hmm. I guess some people are also dissatisfied with the choices I'm making. Yeah. Um, and it's like a, it's a weird, it's, but it, but there's something, there's something kind of nice about being like, well, maybe that dissatisfied child will, will grow into <laughs> a maybe spiteful they'll make creator. Thing, you know? Yeah. But also like when you're create, like, but also like, ultimately I, I do believe the mantra of like, create for yourself first. Yeah. Like you have to be your target audience. You have to yeah. create something that you love because like, if you're trying to, because I think a lot of these shows too, like they they go from making something very specific and very much the show that they want to make to to like. I that's why I think the shows are always better before they get super popular. Yeah, not because like I am like I liked it better when it wasn't popular, but because they could be for a niche audience. Yes, absolutely. They could be just for a few people, and those are the people who are most like you, the creator. Mm-hmm. Like you're a small scrappy thing, and you're basically just making something. For yourself and then because you're making it for yourself other people that are like you find that mm-hmm. and so you can kind of continue making it for them but then like when you have to make it for more people it feels like there's more people to please and therefore you have to split yourself mm-hmm. and make it less for you and therefore less for those original people and so it's really then the question of like who are you making the show for and but but I also do think that the more general you make a show you make it for nobody yeah. And that's why no one is satisfied by stuff like Game of Thrones because they were trying to satisfy everyone. everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think when it's like it's it's this idea of and it's it's no one's fault. It's all it's all a business, but once you start to have to worry about are we going to get picked up? Are we commercial enough? You start having to make different choices and mm-hmm. it's it's hard. Um it's hard on both sides, but as a fan, you're like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't fucking care. Yeah, like I just don't care that you had a hard time. Give me what I deserve, and so. give my favorite character what he deserves. Yeah, and a warm fucking blanket and a Dean cup Winchester of tea. deserves better. I said it. <laughs> yeah, no, I. You know, one of the things I will say about Dean Winchester to bring it back to to our boy um, is that I always <laughs> always loved his obsession with pie, and I never understood what it was but I think it was that it was like what would satisfy him is so simple like if someone would just genuinely give him a night where he can have a slice of pie with his brother and not worry about anything he would be Mm -hmm. happy well and you see him have those brief moments and that's what I like they give you enough of those tastes yeah of seeing him happy that you want like a bigger fix of it yeah I also think the genius of that character upon rewatch is the way that the show utilizes humor to keep you like mm-hmm. locked into him. I also think like he's a more interesting character because I think Sam has to play the straight man so much. Yeah. Like Dean gets to do like the biggest dramatic shit. Yeah. And he's doing the stupidest like comedy stuff. Yeah. Like uh, some of my favorite episodes of that show are just when like Jensen Ackles just fucking lets loose and does some big comedic performances. Yeah. Cause I do think that there is, I- I'm a firm believer in like, I think they were talking about this, the the, the directors of um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Okay. 
We're talking about, which is like, if you've seen it, it's like, there are some very broad, like very broad, very silly humor moments in yeah, that movie. Yeah, absolutely. And in, all, and in all of their films. But it is like, humor is kind of used as a weapon for its audience mm -hmm. in a way that it like, they, they like laughter is a way of opening you up to being vulnerable so that then a punch can get in. Mm. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting way where it's like, Humor is a way that of making an audience laugh and show and show their like their stomach yeah. so that you can go in for the punch so that they're vulnerable and they're open and they're ready to receive an emotional truth. You know, that's so interesting as well, because a lot of these characters that we've talked about in that same space of like, mm -hmm. why, why do we connect to these characters? They have that same mm -hmm. thing. It is that that kind of self-deprecating humor as armor um, mm -hmm. and these moments that make you connect to that. Um, and I know for myself, like I, I was such a sarcastic little shit in high school and in yeah. middle school. Um, and that grew into now I am a comedy writer and stand up comedian and, and there's so much of that. And we were working on, um, we were working on season two of Sword in the Stoner and I had turned scripts into, to the actors and to Dylan and Dylan in particular was like, we we were I, I won't spoil it because it's not even recorded yet. But there is an episode of 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 season two that is a hard episode. It's um it's there are moments that are funny, but it's not the funniest yeah. thing that we've ever done. Um, and Dylan was like, "Yeah, you, you." Every time we get into this, like you you just can't help yourself. Like you mm -hmm. always, even when you set out to write a straight comedy, you you can't help yourself. It, it something gets in there and gut punches. Mm -hmm. Um. And I do think maybe that's where it comes from, of yeah. this moment of like, well, if I can make you laugh, then I can make you deal with this other thing too. Yeah. It's, and I think, well, I think laughter is a, is a way in to people. Like it's, it's something that, that Ian and I talk about on our show where it's like season one, we were all about like calling out tropes, subverting them as much as we can. And like really using that as a, as a way of getting ideas across. But then at a certain point, I do think like you have to do the thing. Yeah. Like you can subvert the thing, but then you kind of just have to do the thing. And that's when, when like, we were only going to do one season and then, you know, it was going to end very, very, like, cynically in a way of, like, under, like, kind of just, like, judging the characters and coming in a under under these a bunch of these tropes. But then it was, like, my sensibilities as a writer is are much, I think, gentler than that. Mm -hmm. Like, we're a satire or show. Yeah. And then in season two, I'm just, like, I, I just feel like my sensibilities are just like, I, but at a certain point, I just kind of want to do the tropes and I just want to like give <laughs> characters the chance to be happy and to grow and to like through and like, and also so many of these shows are about found family. Yeah. And just like, okay. But I also do believe like because of these shows and because of the media that I think a lot of us in our generation grew up on and in this generation too, it's like, I do believe in the healing power of community mm. and found family. Yeah. And like, you know, and people can be, and I think that I, I also think like there is something to having grown up loving characters that are not perfect. Like Dean Winchester is like a very problematic person <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways. And like and like I think a lot of and like the doctor is and Sherlock definitely is. And like a bunch of these other characters are just like these are terrible people on paper. Yeah. Like, really terrible. And it's crazy that I that I was able to follow them so far with really bad behavior. But I but I think that like it's really interesting the messiness of these characters and that yeah. we are drawn to mess. And specifically that women are, because I think the characters, the, the female characters that we're given are so uncomplicated and so just, like, heroic and, like, strong and, and smart. And it's, like, but, I, I, but I'm so drawn to characters that are just absolute messes. 
Yeah. And how do we how do we play those same tropes, but with people who who are who are like quote unquote problematic? I think like Dean yeah. Winchester is such an interesting character, and like it really was formative for my sensibilities of like I don't want a main character that's morally perfect. I want a main character that's a mess. Yeah. And like how does the and like and I think there's something about like I love Ted Lasso. I love it so much. But I also think like, and it is important to have aspirational characters that are like, that's what the world should be. And mm-hmm. those people can can bring people through the world and show people a better world. But I'm also super interested in characters where it's like this messy and broken and like really like not emotionally intelligent character. Like if they can manage to do it, can manage to do the right thing and find connection and find hope. Yeah then we can too. Like I'm much more interested in watching that character's like imperfect journey of becoming a better version of themselves. Yeah. And showing the path forward for us in that way. Yeah. Than I am in watching the perfect version of it. I'd rather watch someone struggle and fail a lot. Yeah. Because that feels more real to me. Yeah. It feels, I, I think it's, for me, it's hard to watch shows where it's like this guy means well does well and Mm -hmm. that's the truth like it's like okay well uh, you know I I don't know that I that that people view themselves in a way where you can say I am fundamentally and morally epically good Mm -hmm. um there's there's something that just doesn't feel very human about that Mm -hmm. there's something that feels yes aspirational I would love to always be a good person and feel like I've never made a decision that hurt someone's feelings or that was the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. But it's not the case. And especially when, especially when I was 13, God, like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, there's something. And I think maybe there's something about, about looking at someone who should be strong, mm-hmm. right? Like who has these qualities that, um, that you don't have at that point mm-hmm. and to be able to say like you said like if that person's still having the same problems like it, I feel better about that and I yeah. feel like watching them get their happy ending feels like I can have one too um, yeah. which is why I, I think it yeah. can feel like such a betrayal when when those characters don't get a happy ending absolutely yeah like I think there's there's you know I think that's why it's like a lot of these ones that end on like really just like have you finished Supernatural? And the last time we talked, I didn't know if you'd finished I, it. I hadn't because I've I've gotten spoilers and I was okay. like, oh. I, I think that's wanna... <laughs> why that's why certain parts of the Supernatural series finale, I think, felt like such a betrayal. And like and also the episodes leading up to it. Yeah. I'm just like there it feels like there's a central promise of like, you know, like that like it, it's in the fucking song that's like the unofficial theme song. Like there'll yeah. be peace. Um yeah. And it feels feels like there was a piece, but it felt like a cop out and it felt like not the way that anyone wanted and not the way that the characters deserved or like how the narrative felt like it was setting it up. Yeah. Um, and it feels like that was across the board for like even like supporting characters. It was just like this is like it's really interesting to watch a show be like have the energy like such an energy of like this is what the people want and like being one of the people and being like how did anyone think this is what we wanted <laughs> like literally how did anyone in the room watch this and be like that's what they wanted you know yeah, yeah. no i i i think i think so sometimes i do think about that though and i wonder like with a legacy as big as supernatural mm. became is there an ending that could have been satisfying to everyone? And I don't know uh, because There's I've never, never been in that situation. There's never going to be an ending that satisfies know? everyone. I think yeah. the most that you can, like, and I think that any ending that's trying to satisfy anyone is betraying itself. 
Yeah. So I think the the only thing like that that I you know, at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to what's the, and I think that what's interesting about Supernatural is that it had so many showrunners, and each showrunner feels like it had they had a different thesis for what the show was about. Yeah. Which was interesting, and like, and so it was just like. What thesis are we ending on? When really, I think that any good show, it's like if you're doing a series finale, go back to the first episode. Yeah. So because you're never going to satisfy everyone who's like fans in season 15. But I think for a series finale, I think you always have to go back to the very beginning and go, where does this story start? And there and because I always think any ending has to be a mirror of the beginning. You know, as cheesy as it is, like, but also like, Fuck, like, the word cheesy. Like, because, like, I watched, um, my fiance, I watched, like, I watched the show called Station Eleven on HBO Max, which oh, is yeah, yeah. fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. There were moments that I got to in that last episode where both of us, like, on the page were like, oh, is this what's going to happen? That's so cheesy. Yeah. But then it fucking executes it so well and so earnestly, like, and all of the tropes. It's like, it's tropes yeah. beginning to end. Right. And it's everything that you knew is going to happen. Nothing is a surprise. Yeah. And yet I still like wept because it was just like it is it was so true to what the characters' journeys were. Yeah. And I think that I as a as a viewer even had to be like, yeah, that that that's what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And if you just sometimes if you just execute really like at the end of the day, if you just execute it really fucking well, you can play the hits. Yeah. And that's you know, okay. I I love I love like even in this conversation where the whole point is to say like I love this thing unconditionally and it's good for me and it makes me who I am there's still this hesitation of like Mm -hmm. it's cheesy or it's lame or whatever and it's it's so interesting because the truth is like you're right fuck cheesy like Mm -hmm. cheesy and and I it made me think of the fact that so my birthday's coming up and Mm -hmm. I was you know making plans for my birthday and and texting people and I there's a there's a Star Wars bar in mm-hmm. LA and so I was like oh like I, this we should try this out whatever and every text I sent I said you know it could be really lame but mm-hmm. it could also be really fun um and one of my friends finally texted me back and was like every single person you're texting loves Star Wars like why yeah. are you why are you justifying it? Like we could go yeah. inside and there could be three lightsabers on the wall and everyone's going to have a really great time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just feel this constant, like, I hope no one thinks I'm lame. And yeah. I don't, I don't know where it comes from other than, other than the fact that, that that's how people make you feel. Like it's mm-hmm. just, yeah. Yeah. I, I love a happy ending. I love mm-hmm. when things wrap up satisfyingly. It's something where like, no one wants to be like the first one to break that. I feel like once you, once you create like, that's kind of the beautiful point of any friend friend group where like you know someone well enough that like they know you and they know you like <laughs> that, like I and I and I think you have to like no one wants to be the first one to show vulnerability yeah in any situation and there is a vulnerability in showing anything that you love yeah like truly love and all of these things like even if it's like it's fictional stuff like it is a love mm-hmm. and there is there is an innate vulnerability in any type of love. And so it can feel sensitive because you want other people to love the thing that you love because if they don't like it, anything you love is a part of you. And so it can feel like if they don't like it or if they're indifferent to it, it can feel like it is an indifference towards you. There's a, there's a, you cannot separate yourself from the things that you love. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And so no one wants to be the first one to show that, but... But I've been really, like, to to talk a little bit about, like, my relationship with 
that that is going into more a more healing place. Like I've I also am incredibly lucky to have a, a friend group where um, I became really good friends uh, kind of incidentally through theater um, with someone who is really big in the Star Wars fan like fan okay. community. Like yeah. is part of a Star Wars like a Star Wars fandom. Um, it's Utini. Um, if anyone's interested, um, they're really really cool. But he, you know, loved, like, one of the first things I ever learned about him was he loved Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so much of who he is. It's so much of, like, this wonderful person that he is. And, like, and so it was really great in our friend group. He was always, like, really brave. And he was the first one that's like, mm -hmm. I love this thing. I'm putting this thing that I love front and center about me. And I'm not going to be, a, like, you know, and, and you can take or you can leave that. But that's yeah. who I am. And, like that was one of the things that I came to love about him first. And so in return, it felt, it felt natural to share mm. those things that I love with him. Yeah. Because I just felt like he had offered something of himself and therefore I could offer something in return. Yeah. And I think that that's, and that is such a gift that he gave me in his friendship. And I, and I will always like love him for that because like now, even though like, I think he hasn't watched our flag means death. He's still like sending me memes and was still like texting me when it got renewed and was like celebrating with me. And the same way that I celebrate with him when the Star Wars releases comes out, come out. And like, I don't know. I just think that there's, it's hard to break that ice and put yourself out there, but it's, it's really cool as an adult friend group when you can find that and, and rediscover those childish, like not child, like not childish in a bad way, but good way yeah. parts of yourself. Because we have, you have to like, you have to love things to yeah. be a whole person. I, you know, that's, I think that's, maybe the perfect moment to end this on yeah. because I think that is so true. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of my favorite things about doing this show so far has been listening to how passionate people get when you say, like, I, I kind of, when we started it, I was like, are people going to want to do this? Like, are people going to want to talk about it? Um, and I suppose not shockingly at all, when you tell someone, would you like to talk about the thing that matters most to you? Um, absolutely. And it lights yeah. up just everything I there's something about just giving someone space to mm. talk about what they love and how much you can learn about a person that way like yeah. one of the first things we connected over was this and that's why I wanted you to be on the show yeah. um but there's something so like you said vulnerable and wonder wonderful if mm. I can say that word <laughs> there's something so so vulnerable and wonderful mm. about being able to share what you love and um, and I think you're right. Like sometimes the most interesting part of a person is what they love and you can't, you can't be a whole person unless you love things. So I'm going to end with every, with the, the question that I ask everyone, um, which is if you had never watched Supernatural, if you'd never heard of it, never seen a thing, um, what would be different about you today? Oh God, I don't even, I had this question like told to me in prep and I'm still like, and I thought about it so much of today. Um, it was really a gateway into so much. And I don't know if I don't, I'm sure there would have been another gateway in to like, to all of this, mm -hmm. but I'm glad it happened when it did. I'm glad that I got into it so early and that like, I found I wouldn't have some of the friends that I have because I don't think I would have, I don't know. I, I, it's so difficult. I think there are so many things about like, plot like so much because there's 15 seasons because there was so much content and because I was with it so long I don't think I would have had certain sensibilities of what I like in art and what I don't like in art it created so much of the like because there was so much content constantly at such a a crucial moment it really did help me it 
all of these shows that go on for so long, it's just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. And a lot of that stuff I, I maybe didn't like, but that also taught me so much. I, I think you learn just as much from what you don't like as what you do because it teaches you what paths not to go down. And I think it helped me as a storyteller in that way. But also I just like, I created so many friends that like, I, it gave me the, the initiative and the drive to go out and share a thing that I love with other people and to, to invite them into it that I'm still doing today. I still use this, do the same thing that I did back then when I'm just like texting people like, have you watched this? watch it and talk to me about it and text me about it. I still feel the same way like when I'm when I get texts from friends who are watching shows that I recommended to them who are like live texting me it. And it feels and it's not the same cuz we're not watching it at the same time. But it still makes me feel connect like it's it's still so embedded into the way I talk to my friends. It's still the way that I keep up with my relationships is you know live text me the show I recommended to you and I'll do the same. I have entire friends where that's like the foundation of our friend group. <laughs> And I started doing that at this time and I created those skills and the, that way of talking here. And it's one of my favorite things in the world and it, it brings me so much joy. I love that. Well, and I love perfect. you, Dean Winchester. You're oh, also really I love hot. you, Dean Winchester. Also, what like, a beautiful man. You're a real hottie. Like, you're, you're a real one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, put I know it I on didn't a say that enough, but like also they were really hot and that was formative to me. There's that um, too also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Lauren, for joining me. Thank you. I'm so excited to have done this. Yeah, I had a great time. So until next Wednesday, this has been You Are What You Love. I hope you had a good time. We'll be back every Wednesday with new guests and new topics to talk about. Um, but in between, you can find me on Twitter at Marissa Kumari, where you can also find my newsletter that ties into this show. You can also find all of that information at our website, tandonproductions.com, and just click on our show art on the homepage. I'll see you next Wednesday. And until then, remember in the wise words of Lauren herself... You have to love things to be a whole person.